This is Season 6, Episode 13, Regenerating the Home with Sarah Stutzman. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Meg. Really excited to see where we might go today. It's always that feeling, you know, at the start of a conversation um, when you know that there's like-mindedness and you're just like, what direction might we go in? So let's start with, um, I would just love to hear a little more about, I guess, what your vision of the world is and, and what you're kind of, or how you're exploring or expressing that right now in this season of life. Yeah. So I think right now it's, um, uh, my vision for the world would be for our communities, for individual individuals, for families to take responsibility over, over their bodies, over their land, even if it's, you know, an apartment balcony, um, you know, what, what things could you have growing that could nourish you and could provide sustenance on your table and having connection um, and really helping folks get back to that place um, that we've lost. You know, we used to have that. We used to live so close to the land and know exactly what was going into our body and used food for fuel. And now we're in this fast paced society, but I do think that our world is coming back to questioning these things of, you know, okay, well, if the food supply isn't going to be there for me, if shelves are empty, um, where, where am I going to get my food? And also I think that goes hand in hand though, too, with, um, wanting to care for their bodies, individuals really thinking about the ingredients that are in their food. I mean, not everyone, but I think that's our, my vision for the world. Um, and so the steps that we're taking right now is, is using our farm as a teaching tool. Um, and so everything that we do on our farm, I feel like is a classroom. I want it to be a classroom. I wish we could record every single day of what we do, but I don't know. It, there's, there's somewhat of like, okay, there's boundaries of privacy and my husband He's all for my vision. He's the farmer. He's the one that, um, you know, makes these visions happen. But there's also that time where there's boundaries and he's like, sometimes he's like, come on, turn the, turn the camera off or mm-hmm. let's just have a weekend of family time. I'm like, I know, but my heart is longing for people to learn. So learn these ways. I love, I love, mm-hmm. um, just as you were speaking, such a strong feeling in my body of like that correlation between, you know, looking after the land and then looking after our bodies and those two being so simultaneously true at the same time and important as a symbiotic relationship that we need both. So I'm curious, like, is your, are your families farmers or how did you come into this kind of homesteading work? How did you come into working with the land in this way? Yeah. Um, oddly, it, it's just, it's this odd mesh of um, my husband's family and my family and how we came to be. But my husband's grandfather was an organic farmer 
mm-hmm. in the county that we live in. And that was in the seventies and eighties. That was really unheard of, but you know, his grandfather started farming and realized that what he was spraying on his field, it just didn't make him feel good. Um, and so he went to organic practices. And so my husband was driving the tractor at five years old. I'm picturing the picture that he has, you know, it's in our, um, one photo album, but on the tractor as a young boy, he would ride his bike over there, him and his brothers ride his bike and help grandpa on the farm learning organic practices. Um, and so when we got married, we just naturally started raising our, our own food. Um, I grew up on an exotic animal farm, Christmas tree farm, which is super odd when I tell people that, but um, we actually, my family, up until about the age of 10, my family and I, we lived on the farm in the refurbished barn and we took care of the farm for my aunt and uncle. It was not ours, but my aunt and uncle had, my great aunt and uncle had purchased a farm, a Christmas tree farm, and they brought it back to life. Um, and there were like 12 ponds on this farm. And, you know, every spring we would be out there planting Christmas trees. And then my great aunt and uncle, they loved animals. And so it was like a hobby, but then it was it was fun to have these animals at Christmas time, like camels and elk and zebras. And um, so I grew up on a Christmas tree farm with the run of the land, making mud pies, digging in the dirt um, until the age of 10. And then my parents moved because it was just a lot to take care of and having a family and working full time or my dad working full time. So we moved into a development but I always had that tendency to just want to play in dirt. Um, so I asked my dad when I was like in high school, if I could have a garden in the backyard, you know, he grew tomatoes, but I was like, I want a little garden. And I was just always drawn to that life. And so when my husband and I got married, we watched food Inc. I don't know if you've mm. ever watched food Inc, but I don't know. it was like one of those, one of those first, um, documentaries on where our food comes from. And that's the first time we heard Joel Salatin speak too. And we were captivated and we just dove in. I mean, our first garden was so full of weeds, but we had so much fun. We got pigs, we had chickens, we had um, a beef cow as well that we kept on his parents' property. We rented, we actually rented his grandfather's land for about five years because it was in the hands of someone else. His grandfather had passed away and a family friend had purchased the farm and the farmhouse was available for rent. It was actually an old modular home and we had the rent of five acres for about five years. Mm. And that just gave us, you know, I longed for for our own farm, but when I look back, that was our teaching farm. That was like where we planted our roots. That's where my babies were born. Well, two of them. Um, and that's where we just started this life and we learned what we liked and what we didn't like and what we, you know, we, we dreamed even bigger from that farm. Mm. I love so much of what you're talking about. I'm getting full body chills. Joel was here a couple of years ago before COVID and, um, you know, we're also similarly captivated by that kind of work. And we, have one acre, but just in the last couple of weeks, um, then our neighbour was like, well, can you take care of 
the acre next door. So then we had kind of stewardship of two acres and now the other neighbour, um, her husband is moved down to a home in the, in the big city and she has 58 acres that now we have access to and that we're starting to uh, strip graze our horses on and things like that. And it's just this beautiful growing with the land and also through relationship having those opportunities to grow because I think if I went from zero to 60 acres in instantaneously like it would have been so overwhelming and so difficult but I think when you talk about the five acres that just sounds like such a beautiful canvas for you to have learned on and yeah and I and I also love what you said about that you were the kid always digging in the dirt because I think so many of us, like the call is really um, that yearning deep within us to come back to that wholeness, to come back to that state where we were just whole and alive and in the organic matter as organic matter and we, our education systems and our society and our culture in glorifying intellectual work so much takes us away from that innate desire to be with our hands in the dirt. And um, I think that journey home is like something I'm always so captivated to hear about. So I'm curious, as you made that transition onto the five acres, how did you guys go about supporting yourselves economically? Like I think that transition point is always, I don't know, at least for us was really difficult as we were starting to grow our own food how did you survive in the world and also start to build this vision of um, growing your own food and self-sufficiency and homesteading? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, I think, um, well, so we had five acres, I think it was around five acres. There was pastures all around us and creeks. And um, I know it was a chunk of land that our landlord let us, just have fun with and play with. Um, that was five acres. And when we rented, I was still teaching. Mm-hmm. I was a teacher. So, you know, like, like you're saying, like coming back, like full circle, uh, I had amazing parents, but you know, our society is to value education and which I love education, but college and um, getting a good career, um, making a living when all I really wanted to do was, you know, in, in middle school, we, I would ride the bus and there was a farm, you know, I live in a farming community. It's very agricultural, you know, an agricultural community, but I would ride the bus and there was this one farmhouse that sat back and, and I would just dream, like, I want to be a, a farmer. I want to marry a farmer. Uh, I want to have chickens and goats and horses and a bunch of kids running around barefoot. And I even envisioned like my farmer being a blonde haired blue eyed boy and, you know, all those things. And why is that so bad? You know, why do we tell our kids, no, you have to be more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I never regret my, my college education. I'm still using it. That's who I have, I was created to be is those gifting is, is to teach, but I'm coming back full circle now to exactly where I know I'm meant to be. Um, and so I, we, I taught, my husband had his own business. He's actually, he's a taxidermist. So he, um, he loves hunting. He loves wildlife. He had his own business. And then when I resigned from teaching, when our second child was born, he went and 
he went to work for a, a local taxidermist who does a lot of um, uh, big, big mounts, I guess you could say, like uh, African mounts. They have a lot of hunters that go outside of the country. So he worked for a really stable company then. So that way I could stay home with the children and he could um, provide the insurance, the income. And so it was, a, it was definitely at those, that beginning stage, it was a lot of um, tag teaming him and I with the income, uh, the finances, budgeting. And, <laughs> you know, when I look back right now, I feel like I'm more concerned about our finances than I was then, you know, when you're young and you're just going for it and you're like, yeah, I'm like, you're just living on a cliff. You're living on the edge. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul, um, all those sayings. And we were, but it, it worked and it's still working, even though I'm, I'm more worried about it because our dreams are getting bigger. Our, the yeah. things we want to do are getting bigger. But um, <laughs> right now I, I do have... I do work from home. So I have a few businesses that I'm running from home while I'm homeschooling. So that's a juggle, but it's nice to be able to have two incomes because when we were starting, it was either, you know, his or mine. Um, and once we moved onto our farm, yeah, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's still the same with income. Like some months are great and some months are like, just getting by totally and I think it's so I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I think folks might look at your Instagram or my Instagram and be like oh like it's that transition is seamless and like you're now completely sufficient I actually think Dave um, my husband and I were talking about it this week I think we have less financially than we've probably had in ever (laughs) but Mm -hmm. but we own more of our so we have more equity in our land, which is one thing. But the other thing is that we, it's like once you start working with the land and the projects start getting bigger and the pull to be doing those things is so much greater than the lure of sitting behind my computer and earning an income in that way, it's almost like it's by choice for us, you know, and, you know, we're extremely privileged in that sense, but there is a choice of that we're choosing to work less, to have less income because there's these other things that just are so important for us in the ways that we're living and the ways that we're being. Um, we always joke about like where it, it's not it's not that we are against work. We work really, really hard. It's just that so much of what we do is not income generating, Mm -hmm. which is um, I think something that I think there's this conversation um, where folks think that we can have it all, like we can still have um, this stewardship and we still have really deep ties in community and we still uh, can have our full-time job and grow our own food. And I think that unfortunately or fortunately that the types of changes that we need to make is to orient to different types of wealth and different forms of wealth like we share a lot more now we receive a lot more reciprocally so you know we don't need to earn as much because you know folks down the road grow things that we can swap and I don't know it's like a shifting of um economies and a shifting of our orientation that I think is has been really important for us do you feel the same do you agree with that 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love everything you just said. Cause, um, you know, I don't feel like we're much further ahead as far as, you know, finances. Um, I just did a YouTube video today on, I just uploaded it. We just invested in a chicken tractor, um, not a chicken tractor, a chicken plucker, because we just bought one brand new because years ago, my husband made one. Like we, I I feel like homesteaders are so resourced. You have to be resourceful because sometimes the budget isn't there when you buy a piece of land or even when you rent a piece of land um, because so much of your time goes into working the land rather than working a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have to be really resourceful with material building, seeing things with different eyes. Um, But I do think though, Meg, I think like your, your land is income producing in a way that it's putting food on your table that Mm -hmm. you don't have to then go to the grocery store to purchase. You're putting your, instead of putting your time into sitting behind the computer to earn a paycheck, you're putting your time into working the land that's going to provide you with food rather than say money, you know? And I just had this conversation with my dad because I was asking him, he's really into investing into like gold and silver And he's always been that way, like, you know, investing in coins. And I finally said to him, like, I need your, I need your wisdom. I was like, it's like old man wisdom that, you know, is finally people are catching on to with, you know, my parents' generation that they, they are mindful of where they invest their money. And so he goes, don't worry about it. You have plenty of wealth on your farm with all the food. He said, if things, if things go down, he said, you have food to barter with. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And just like you said, Meg, like down the road, you know, you may have someone that raises bees and you can barter honey for, um, some chickens. And I always think of it as like, I was explaining this to my girls because we've had a lot of conversations and they're 12, almost 10 and seven. And they ask a lot of questions And I was like, girls, it's like Little House in the Prairie, you know, when um, Paul and Ma have to take the kids to the doctor, they would trade a chicken, you know, for the doctor's fee. I'm like, it's bartering. That's what we may have to do one day. And that's why we have to have these skills. So having skills is, is more important than I think a college education at this point in life. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think skills is have been so lost. And um, even I saw you did a post today about about family butchering day. And we, so my mum grows trout. She has, she has an aquaponics farm actually in the city. And so every year we gather and we um, harvest the trout, which is so beautiful. And then we have trout, fresh trout all year round, which is such a privilege, you know, like untouched yes. seafood. Um, and then all the veggies that grow from that aquaponic system as well. And we've got this beautiful system now happening within our family of, of bartering and trading goods and sharing abundance, sharing surplus. And I think that we've only just started uh, last year was our first foray into chicken breeding. And then this year we've kind of experimented with some different breeds as well. Um, and it's almost like, 
I can feel that place in my body where I go to tell people about like, oh, well, and they always ask like, what do you do with the roosters? And, and then I tell them, you know, we'll process mm-hmm. them and that's our meat. And, and I always feel that edge of like, oh, God, how, this, how is this going to go down? So how have your relationships changed over time? Like how has your community changed over time? And I'm also curious within that, about how you and your practices and skills have started influencing maybe the farmers or the community around you um, who are more maybe traditionally agriculturally focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I just have to say, your the aquaponics and the trout is like my husband's dream. We just put a greenhouse up and he is already dreaming of aquaponics with maybe tilapia but we have a spring that he's dreaming of digging out and making a trout pond that is his vision so I'll have to tell him that you're yeah because that is awesome um yeah and my my sister my sister's family does something similar my sister raises the beef they have a larger farm and then you know we purchase from them so I think it's really cool that we can do that with family um as far as influence um you know and when you said about the roosters I I know you know starting out when people when our friends would come over to our first place that we had our first farm they would always ask us like what are you doing what are you what are you doing now like what are you canning and ask us so many questions because that was 13 years ago Mm. yeah about 13 14 years ago we're married 14 years and we started soon after And, you know, homesteading, even that term homesteading, regenerative farming, sustainability, that wasn't around. And there was no YouTube videos like there are today. I'm thankful for the YouTube videos. We we watched some of them, you know, there were a few of like how to make things, how to do certain things, but nothing like there is today, which I think is a blessing and a curse at the same time, because there could be so much information that it could just overwhelm people. But, um, but there's enough information out there for people to glean and just start. But as far as a couple years ago, you know, 13 years ago, our friends were interested. And so if I told them that I was, you know, we were butchering the chickens and our animals were, were for meat, they thought that was cool. But now it's like, you have some people that are like, how do you eat your pets? And I'm like, they're not pets. <laughs> I always have to explain to people, like, they're not pets. They are animals for our nutrition and they are raised with love and we love and care for them. And we know exactly what they're fed and how they're nurtured. And our children know that too. Um, so the influence, we, we haven't seen too much influence in like our neighboring farms. Um there's still pretty much the traditional agriculture. Um, but as far as in our families and in our family and friends, we have seen, you know, a huge shift where our friends are, they have gardens and they're getting chickens. My sister, she is like questioning me on a greenhouse and microgreens and how she could possibly stay home one day um, and, and make a living on her farm. She has about 15 acres. And so her wheels are always spinning every time she comes over. And, um, and so I think I see the influence more firsthand in close friends and family. And that's, that's the legacy we want to leave is that if we can really 
influence our friends and family, they're going to go out and then be the ripple effect. And so anytime someone comes to a class, I'm always telling them if they come to a folk school class, I'm like, if you learn how to make kombucha around my table, don't keep it to yourself. Invite your friends over. If you learn how to make microgreens, don't keep it to yourself. Invite your friends over. Like, I don't want to be the end all be all. I don't want to be teaching everyone all the things. I want, I want the people that leave our farm to go and replicate in their kitchens and on their property. Mm. I love that so much. I, I, I really feel that same reverence for the work and really wanting it to be spread far and wide. And although our focus is not so much on skills, but more like how, how do we need to be that's regenerative, you know, like how do we need to, what do we need to embody to start making decisions like this, courageous decisions, hard decisions, um, decisions that go against the grain, like who do, what, what kind of is our internal terrain need to look like to create that regenerative future. And I, and I really always say that a lot of the wisdom around nature connection and around well-being, like true well-being doesn't come from my ancestors so much. It comes from Indigenous wisdom, you know, in that close stewardship connection with the land, 40,000 years in the making here at least. And so it's not anyone's to own, you know, these things and not they've been passed down and they've been honed over time and there is not, I think it's inherently experimental when you're working with a piece of land anyway because it's so changeable and you need to know it and then a different weather pattern comes and the land's going to completely change mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. it can't be owned and contained and monetized and like you know stripped down in that way and I love the idea of just letting it the seeds kind of like go wild out there and to see how people adapt and um, adapt these practices and principles in their homes and in their lives I think that's absolutely what we need to be doing so Mm -hmm. on that note what do you think what do you say to folks that might look at your kind of Instagram or your teachings or your school and they're like, well, I could never get to that point, right? Like there, it feels like there's such a big gap between where they are and the life that they're living and then these deep yearnings within them to be closer to the land, to be eating healthful food. How do you support that transition or like what would you say to those that think that it has to look perfect and it's about the aesthetic and it's about the form that something takes, not the process? How do you teach around that? Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, always, that's always the, the evil of Instagram, right? <laughs> I love Instagram, but then it's the pretty pictures that, you know, have to show the beautiful. That's where I think I like to show more of the messy, hopefully in my stories, but it's not. I mean, anyone that comes onto our farm, it is, there are multiple projects going on at one time. (laughs) We have children, we have chickens and rabbits that decide that they don't want to stay in their pens and that they are just free ranging all over the place. And, you know, when you have free range animals, you have poop. And so it's, it's messy. I try to keep it as clean as possible, but um, I think we just took a trip down to um, Virginia here in the States um, to visit Polyface farm. Mm, I'm uh, Jill Salatin's farm. Oh, but you know, when I, 
<laughs> we, we pulled in and we're like driving down these backcountry roads and I'm so excited. I'm like, I don't know, Joel and his farming practices has just been a bucket list to just go and visit the farm. And we're only, we're not very far away. We're about three hours from Virginia and we finally did it. And we're driving down these backcountry roads and we pull in and I'm like, whoa, this is not Instagram. Like his farm is a farm and Mm -hmm. there's outbuildings that are just, you know, there's hay, there's animals. It's not this beautiful Instagram worthy farm that you think of when you think of homesteading Mm -hmm. in 2020, 2021, because I think Instagram has glamorized it and you have uh, farmers that And I'm not saying anything negative about this, but you do have, you know, if you have two incomes coming in and you purchase a piece of land and you build a beautiful farmhouse on it, yes, that's beautiful, but there's the nitty gritty of the work that, you know, it's dirty Mm -hmm. and, and it's okay. And so if you are, if you're out there looking at Instagram and you're looking at the beauty of, you know, the beautiful white farmhouse with the perfectly cleaned kitchen, um, (laughs) that's not, that's not reality. I'm just telling you it's not, um, uh, because there's things called Photoshop. (laughs) Like I do have someone that comes in to do photos for me just for website marketing and she photoshops the hole in my ceiling where the light fixture isn't done yet. Um, the holes in the wall where, you know, we still need to run electrical wire. Like it's, yeah. Um, but if you're looking at starting, just start. And if you are working a full-time job, you have maybe two full-time jobs, you and your spouse, your um, loved one, start with where you can. If it is a garden and you're growing tomatoes, start. Because I promise you, if it's in your soul, if it's a longing that is, has been there for, you know, years or a couple months and you want to try it, just try it. And I guarantee that if you, you're going to fall in love with it and it's going to be this domino effect of like, wow, you pick a fresh tomato and you serve it on your plate and you look at that tomato and you're like, I grew that. What else can I grow on this plate? Cause I know that's how we started. And my kids are now a little obsessive about it. I know my oldest is like she made burgers last night. Um, and she had homemade buns, homemade mayonnaise. We had canned some ketchup this uh, summer. And what else does she make? Oh, lettuce from the garden. She's like, everything's ours. Like, mm-hmm. But that's how we started when we were gardening and we we're like, okay, this is ours. This is ours. What else can we grow? Um, so I promise you start somewhere. If you are considering homesteading, um, and growing your own food. Don't stop yourself because you don't think you can make it look beautiful. Yeah. I love that. And I think that that's the antidote, right? Actually is that we have a lot of food that looks really beautiful. That is empty. And we have a lot of photos that look beautiful that are empty. And I think the antidote is that the process is so messy. Like I remember how many gardens I started when I was renting and still working full time and you know, the devastation of having to move house and leave my silver beet crop and like, you know, how how much it used to be on the periphery of my life, you know, it would be like 
something that drew me away from my computer annoyingly. But like yeah. now it's the opposite. It's like I have to be drawn inside. And I think eventually over time the number of projects kind of crowds out the other things in our lives and they become self, they become the sustaining force that drives us forward to keep experimenting, keep trying. But it's certainly in my experience not linear. Like we have tried for four years, we've been here four years and we've grown two pumpkins and it's extraordinary because pumpkins grow so easily everywhere and for us it's just this for some reason this patch of land this you know compost this whatever is not life-giving for pumpkins (laughs) and and so at one point you're like do I just buy my pumpkins because they're so cheap in autumn anyway or do I continue to try and like figure this out so last year we got two tiny little pumpkins a little butternut and then a kent the bigger one um it was the best pumpkin I've ever eaten in my life I made it into soup and it's just but it's not linear you know like it's Mm -hmm. and sometimes I think it's about letting go of like that you thought you were going to be able to grow pumpkins or tomatoes or you thought you were going to have the aquaponics or you thought you'd be able to um you know do this and instead move with the land and what what they want and what they're like giving life to and I think that's really where the humility in this comes in hey like to be lifelong learners and to never really have it figured out it's humbling in a world that tells us we need to be experts and like queens of this stuff yeah and that we have to do everything because we can't we're going to drive ourselves crazy we try to do everything. I mean, it's, there is a challenge and a fun aspect of that, but you know, we cannot for the life of us grow onions. My dad grows the most amazing onions. And I like, how do you do this? How do you grow onions? We cannot grow onions. And, um, at our old property, we had amazing beehives. They thrived. We brought them here to this property, which is only 10 minutes uh, away. And, they just don't do well. And so we're at the point where, you, like you said, you have to humble yourself and say, okay, maybe this isn't for me. This, this isn't my, you know, specialty. Maybe I need to try something else. And, you know, some years, it depends on the crop, like give it some time, but some years blackberries do well and some years they don't. Some years cucumbers do well and some years they don't. So it, like, yeah, like you said, it's linear and it's just, it's, you can't, I don't know. You, you can't put your garden in like this box and expect it to do everything you want it to do. Um, you just have to go with the flow. And if you get a bumper crop of cucumbers, then you make a lot of pickles that year. If you get a bumper crop of blackberries, you put them in the freezer or make jam. So you have to work with what you're given each year and it's always going to be different. Mm, that's so beautiful and think about the diversity and skills you develop like over a lifetime of that it's um on that I guess to wrap up I wanted to think talking about things that we can't control and put in boxes how do you go with homeschooling and homesteading like how do you there will never be balance, I imagine. But how has that journey been? Like, how's your homeschooling journey been? Obviously, you already had an education background, but have you kind of unschooled them or do you have set time every day? Like, I would just love to hear a little bit more about that journey before we finish up. Yeah, um, this is our second year homeschooling. Mm -hmm. COVID had kind of thrown us into 
pushing us and not pushing us, but threw us into that uh, point of just saying yes, because our girls have, they were asking to be homeschooled. They just love being on a farm. They love this lifestyle. They didn't want to go to school and have to sit in a classroom all day. So when everything closed down in March, I knew that I didn't care for the online method. So I was like, all right, next year we're going to homeschool. So that was last year. And last year it was a lot of unschooling for me. Yeah. <laughs> Learning that, you know, it looks completely different than a classroom. And we go with more of like that Charlotte Mason mm -hmm. mentality that education is all around us. Yeah. So this year I I'm not putting their education in a box and we do, we do the book work in the morning, you know, the, the, the reading and the, the, the writing and the math, but everything else is pretty much hands-on. I mean, I see my girls blossom and grow with the skills that, the, you know, the gifts that they were, they were created with. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 12, we just got a dairy cow, a mini dairy cow. That's what I wanted for my 40th birthday. And my husband, <laughs> my husband, it was like random. My husband found when he just pulled into like someone's lane on the way home. And it was like, I think you have a mini Jersey. Is it for sale? And the, the kid was like, yeah, it actually is. And so it just it was crazy how it came to be, but my oldest is loving milking. So she has really taken it on and she's milking. She is making cheese and yogurt and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm like, this was my dream. But at the same time, I'm releasing it because um, she is loving learning. And it's right there is science and math and, you know, watching how, you know, the milk solids and the way separate when you add an acid to it what happens when you add rennet I mean it's incredible and and my other daughter my middle child is she just loves a greenhouse and she's always in the greenhouse planting and starting cuttings of something so that's school that's education right there and wherever they take that um I think they're getting a good foundation here on the farm so it's like farm school <laughs> I love that and I think that it's like you know, being, interacting with life brings us back to life, you know, and I think that so many of our systems are, are not putting us in that real life relationship with life, with life, with living mm -hmm. things. And so I think that my experience has been that I've come back to life, but we also pulled our girls out of um any care, formal care, a couple of or 18 months ago and, and we'll be homeschooling next year. My eldest is six and it's like, yeah, they're, they're when they're in life, when they're in surrounded by living things and learning through that, I feel like everyone feels settled, you know, and happy and there's yeah. um, the same goes for me and the same goes for all of us, I think. But, yeah, Sarah, thank you so much. I've loved this conversation so much. Thank you so much. And just to, to add to that, I think, mm -hmm. you know, we're regenerating our, our brain pathways and yeah. all the programming that we have been taught over the years. And so it's not just regenerating our land, but it's regenerating our, our minds and our spirits when you're working closely to the land. So thank you so much for the conversation. It was so good to talk to you. It, it has been and I just I mean I feel like we have to have a part two about that last bit that we just dropped in there mm. because I think you know 
brain inflammation and our cognition is being so drastically affected by our food systems. And I think that that regenerating of our of our of the conditioning, but also of our literal brain, <laughs> like our actual <laughs> brain, our cognition, and what creative potential lies when we're being nourished fully. Um, is a whole nother conversation. We'll have to come back for part two, but thank you again, Sarah, for your beautiful wisdom. Absolutely. Take care.